Section 9 of Pierre and Luce by Romain Rolland. Translated by Charles Decay. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Survivors of those days who, since then, have been witness to the dazzling change of fortune, will have forgotten, doubtless, the menacing heavy flight of the dark wing which, during that week, covered the Ile de France and touched Paris with its shadow. Joy does not take further stock in past trials. The German drive reached the line of its summit between Holy Monday and Holy Wednesday. The Somme traversed, Bapaume, Vessel, Giscard, Roy, Noyon, Albert carried. Eleven hundred guns taken, sixty thousand prisoners. Symbol of the land of grace trampled upon, on Holy Tuesday died Debussy the Harmonious. A lyre that is snapped, poor little expiring Greece. What will remain of it? A few chiseled vases, a few perfect steely which the grass will invade from the path of tombs. Immortal vestiges of ruined Athens. As from the height of a hill, Pierre and Luce watched the shadow that moved upon the town. Still wrapped in the rays of their love, they waited without fear for the end of the brief day. Now they would be two in the night. Like to the evening Angelus there rose up to them, conjured up the voluptuous melancholy of the lovely chords of Debussy, which they had so greatly loved. More than it had ever done in any other time, music responded to the need of their hearts. Music was the only art which rendered the voice of the delivered soul behind the screen of forms. On Holy Thursday they walked, loose on Pierre's arm and holding his hand, along the streets of the suburb, soused with the rain. Gusts of wind scurried over the moistened plain. They noted neither rain nor wind, neither the hideousness of the fields nor the muddy ways. They seated themselves on the low wall of a park, a section of which had recently fallen in. Under Pierre's umbrella, which scarcely protected her head and shoulders, loose, her legs hanging down and her hands wet, her rubber coat all steeped, looked at the water dripping down. When the wind stirred the branches, a little fire of drops sounded clop, clop. Luce was silent, smiling, tranquilly luminous. A profound joy bathed them. "'Why does one love so much?' said Pierre. "'Ah, Pierre, you do not love me so very much if you ask that.' "'I ask you that,' said Pierre, "'in order to make you say what I know just as well as you.' "'You want me to give you some compliments. "'But you'll be neatly caught, "'for if you know why I love you, "'I, for my part, do not know why.' "'You don't know?' said Pierre, in consternation. "'Why, no!' she was laughing in her sleeve. "'And there is no need at all why I should know. "'When one asks why something is, 
it means that one is not sure about it, that the thing is not good. Now that I do love, no more why, no more where or when or for, nor how either. My love is, my love is. All beside may exist if it cares to. Their faces kissed each other. The rain took advantage of that, gliding under the awkward umbrella, in order to brush with its fingers their hair and cheeks. Between their lips they drank in a little cold drop. Pierre remarked, "'But the others?' "'What others?' quoth Luce. "'The poor,' answered Pierre. "'All those who are not us.' Let them do as we do. Let them love. And be loved? Loose, all the world cannot do that. Why, yes. Why, no. You don't realize the value of the gift you have made me. To give one's heart to love, one's lips to the beloved is to give one's eyes to the light. It isn't giving, it's taking. There are blind people. We cannot cure them, Pierrot. Let's do the seeing for them. Pierre remained silent. What are you thinking of? asked she. I am thinking that on this day, very far from us, very near, he suffered the passion, he who came on earth to cure the blind. Luce took his hand. Do you believe in him? No, Luce, I believe no longer. But he remains always the friend of those he has accepted, even once, at his table. And you, do you know him? Hardly, responded Luce. They never talk to me about him. But without knowing him, I love him, for I know that he loved. Not as we do. Why not? We ourselves have a poor little heart that knows only how to love you, my love. But he, he loved all of us. But it's always the same love. Would you like we should go tomorrow, asked Pierre, much moved, in honor of his death? I was told that they will have fine music at Saint-Gervais. Yes, I would love well to go to church with you on that day. I am sure he will give us welcome. And being nearer to him, one is nearer each to the other. They fell silent. Rain, rain, rain. The rain falls. The night falls. At this hour tomorrow, said she, we shall be down there. The fog was penetrating. She gave a little shudder. "'Darling, are you not cold?' he asked, disquieted. She rose. "'No, no, everything is love to me. I love everything, and everything loves me. The rain loves me, the wind loves me, the gray sky and the cold, and my little greatly beloved.' For Holy Friday the heavens remained clothed in their long gray veils, but the air was soft and calm. 
In the streets one saw flowers, jonquils, stalks. Pierre took a few which she kept in her hand. They followed the peaceful Quai des Orfèvres and passed along the base of pure Notre-Dame. The charm of the old city, clothed in a discreet light, surrounded them with its noble gentleness. On the Place Saint-Gervais pigeons flew up under their feet. They followed them with their eyes about the façade of the church. One of the birds settled on the head of a statue. At the top of the steps to the parvis before the church, as they were about to enter, Luce turned about and perceived in the midst of the crowd, a few steps away, a little girl with reddish hair, about a dozen years old, leaning against the portal, both arms raised above her head, who was looking at them. She had the fine and somewhat archaic face of some little cathedral statue, with an enigmatic smile, graceful, shrewd, and tender. Luce smiled also at her while calling Pierre's attention to her. But the little girl's gaze passed over her head and suddenly changed to fright, and hiding her face in her hands, the child vanished. "'What is the matter with her?' asked Luce. But Pierre did not look. They entered. Above their heads the dove was cooing. Last noise from outside. The voices of Paris were quenched. The fresh air ceased. The hangings of the organ, the lofty vaultings, the curtain of stones and sounds parted them from the world. They installed themselves in one of the side aisles between the second and the third chapel on the left as you enter. In the hollow of a pier both of them crouched, seated on some steps, hidden from the rest of the assembly. Turning their backs to the choir, on raising their eyes they saw the summit of the altar, the crucifix and the stained windows of a lateral chapel. The beautiful old chants wept out their pious melancholy. They were holding hands, the two little pagans, before the great friend in the church all swathed in mourning. And both of them at the same time murmured in a low voice, Great friend, before your face I take him, I take her. Unite us. You see our hearts. And their fingers remained joined and interlaced like the straw of a basket. They were one single flesh which the waves of music passed through with their shivering notes. They took to dreaming as if they lay in the same bed. Luce saw again in her thought that little girl with reddish hair, and behold it seemed to her that she recalled how she had seen her before in a dream the past night. She could not reach the point of knowing whether that was actually true, or if she were projecting the vision of the present back to the past slumber. Then, weary of the effort, her thoughts allowed themselves to float. Pierre pondered over the days of his short, expended life. The lark that rises from the misty plain to reach the sun, how far it is, how high it is, will it ever be reached? The fog thickens. There is no earth any more. There are no heavens any more. 
and strength gives out. Suddenly, while beneath the vault of the choir, a Gregorian vocalise trickled down, the jubilant song gushed forth, and out from the shadows emerges the little shivering form of the lark that swims on the sea of light without shore. A pressure of their fingers recalled to them that they were swimming together. They found themselves again in the darkness of the church, closely pressed together, listening to the beautiful chants. Their hearts melted with love and touched the summits of the purest joy. And both of them desired, they prayed, never to descend to earth again. At that moment Luce, who had just kissed her dear little comrade with a passionate glance, his eyes half-closed and his lips parted, he appeared lost in an ecstasy of happiness, and raised his head in a rush of thankful joy toward that supreme power which we look for instinctively on high. Luce saw with terror in the red and gilded window of the chapel the face of the reddish-haired child in the parvis who was smiling at her. And as she sat mute, frozen with astonishment, she saw once more on that strange visage the same expression of fright and of pity. And at the same instant the great pier against which they leaned their backs moved, and down to its very base the entire church trembled. And Luce, whose heartbeats deadened in her, the crash of the explosion and the shrieks of the crowd, threw herself without having time to fear or to suffer upon Pierre, in order to cover him with her body like a hen with her brood. Upon Pierre, who with closed eyes was smiling with happiness. With a maternal movement, she clasped the dear head against her bosom, and that with all her power, and coiled upon him, her mouth on his neck, they shrank together to their utmost. And the massive pier crumbled down upon them with one crash. THE END End of Section 9 End of Pierre and Luce by Romain Roland Translated by Charles Decay Recording by Roger Moline